0: I ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua. We're beginning a new series this morning in the book of Joshua. Since we started, we have gone through the book of Mark. Many of you remember that was a long 54 sermons. We spent some time in the Psalms. We spent some time in First Peter. We spent some time in Jude somewhere along the way. And now we come to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. If you're looking for the book of Joshua, it is the sixth book, which is significant because the first five make up the Pentateuch. This is the first book after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we come to the book of Joshua right now. Let me pray that as we read God's word from Joshua chapter one, he would, as we just sang, open up our eyes that we might see these words of life. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would send out your light and your truth. Let them lead us. Let them bring us to your holy hill and to your dwelling places by your word. As it is preached and heard this morning, would all this be done in a way that is pleasing to you, our God? It's in Jesus' name, dependence upon the Spirit, that we pray. Amen. Let's read now God's Word from Joshua chapter 1. These are the very words of God. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, "'Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, "'Prepare your provisions, "'for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan "'to go in to take possession of the land "'that the Lord your God is giving you to possess.'" until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. We're going to be parking here in the book of Joshua for some time, 24 chapters. And in this book, we're going to come across many stories that you know. As the book starts here, the wandering nation of Israel is 40 years into their freedom from Egypt. All of it spent in the wilderness. Moses, the great leader, has died, as we just read, because of his sin of disobedience at the rock that gave water. Joshua, after whom this book is named, takes over the leadership of Israel, as we see in our passage today. Next chapter is the story of Rahab and the spies. And later, we'll see Israel crossing the Jordan River. And then we'll see Israel march around the walls of Jericho until it's defeated. You see the sun stand still during battle. Israel will make conquests throughout the land and take the land. And then they'll settle into the land and divide it up among the tribes. Many of these stories we know. We'll also come to chapters about circumcision and renewing the covenant. And then at the end, we'll see that Joshua dies. Yet in all these things, the driving point is that Israel has a God who is faithful to his promise. God is faithful to his promise. He promised the land, and they will have it. He promised it to Abraham. And he promised that when the iniquity of the Amorites was complete, then he would bring the Amorites to judgment in the land by the Israelites. And he does that. And in it, in this story, you see Joshua at the head of this wandering nation, In all this, we anticipate the work of Jesus that would come a thousand years later. Jesus, the greater Moses, the savior of God's people, is the ultimate conqueror of the enemy of death. He is the one who acquires the eternal inheritance of life, that new heavens and that new earth as the head of God's people. And so therefore, that church that follows him receives that inheritance through him. This is the story of Joshua. Today, we focus in on this first chapter, on Joshua coming to leadership. And we're going to look at it, first of all, we're going to look at it in order of the text, starting with the command to arise and go over, and then the command to be strong and courageous three times. And then we'll see Israel vow their loyalty before we see at the end, it is Yahweh who saves. So let's look at the first five verses where God commands Joshua and Israel to arise and go over. What we see in these first five verses is an undertone of fear. Because Moses has died. The great leader of the people of Israel is gone. But we also see the assurance that God is with Joshua. And that makes all the difference. Because God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. But let's take a moment to think about this Moses, though. Because the death of Moses is hugely important to the start of this book. Moses, as the leader, was a leader for generations. He was the one to whom God spoke through the burning bush. He's the one that God empowered to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery against the stubborn Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he did signs and wonders. He's the one to whom God spoke in the cloud on top of Mount Sinai, whose face shone with the glory of God, the one to whom God gave the law. He's the one who interceded for Israel. When Israel had no hope left, Moses' prayer saved them. His faith in Yahweh is what God used to prevent the destruction of Israel. And at the end of Deuteronomy, so just a page back, Deuteronomy 34, you see in verse 4, God made this promise. Deuteronomy 34, 4, And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. God speaking to Moses said, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not. Go over there. And then look at verse 10, just a few verses later. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So in Israel's mind now is this fear of collapse. The land has been promised, but the leader has died. Does that mean that this promise will not come to fruition Without a leader, they're easy prey for opposing nations. They're not organized. Without a strong leadership, the organization of other nations and their militaries are going to be much stronger. But what's more in the midst of this fear is that God, very specifically in Joshua 1, says multiple times, I am with you. Because it's God's presence and God's faithfulness with the leadership of Israel that makes them leaders. It is not Moses' skills or Joshua's gifts that make them the leaders of Israel who will be successful. It is God's presence with them. And so therefore, the fear of collapse of the promise was eased. As God reminded regularly, I am with you. I will be with you wherever you go. I will not depart. Because at the foundation of Israel is not Moses. At the foundation of Israel is not Joshua, because that's what they're wondering at this point. At the foundation of Israel is not even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At the foundation of Israel is God's promise. Because God is the one who saves. Yahweh is the one who saves that promise that God made throughout Genesis and throughout the Pentateuch that they would cross over into the land is rooted in God. In Genesis 12, chapter 7, about 500 years before this, Abraham was promised the land when God said to your offspring, I will give this land. Therefore, the promise is dependent on someone so much more reliable than Moses and so much more gifted than Joshua. Joshua then, as the successor to Moses, is continuing not in Moses' line or under Moses' great leadership, but he is continuing under Yahweh's plans. And he is continuing under God's plan to bless his people. And we see in also uh, Deuteronomy 34, right before Joshua starts in verse 9, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. It is the Lord's blessing. It's the Lord's presence with Moses and with Joshua that makes them the leaders who will lead Israel into the promised land. And our passage today affirms this successful change of human leadership because there had to be, especially in these days with with these wandering peoples, there had to be a a pledge of loyalty. The leader is gone. A new leader rises up. The people had to pledge their loyalty to that leader in order for this to be a working relationship. And we see here in Joshua 1, especially in verses 16 through 18, that the people do promise that loyalty. And we see Joshua is a good choice. He is Moses' assistant. He learned from a man who walked with the Lord by faith. And we see that under Joshua's leadership, what's the first thing God commands in verse 2? God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And knowing that the tendency would be to freeze up and to give up and to go back into the wilderness, God says, now therefore arise, arise. Go over. God's plan has not stopped. And Israel's dependence upon God's plan has not and should not at this point change. God promises in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And these people are longing for that. They're longing for a leader who is led by their God. And so what I want us to see as as Israel is now told to move into action now that Moses has died, Israel is following not Joshua himself. They are following Joshua's God, the one who is with him. The one who will enable them to win in battle, the one who has already led them to beat Sihon and Og, the one who has already given land to these people. Therefore, arise and go over into the land that I am giving you. Let's look specifically at God's commands to Joshua in verses 6 through 9. God tells Joshua multiple times be strong and courageous. These are perhaps the most famous verses in the book of Joshua. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. That's often the first verse that comes to mind when people hear the book of Joshua. And certainly it takes a sort of strength and fortitude to lead a nation across a river and into a land to conquer it, especially a land with fortified cities. But let's think about some of these leaders. Moses, afraid to speak. Gideon. A very cowardly man. It's not Joshua's strength that is going to make them succeed. Joshua is not being told to look within and find strength and courage. God says very specifically, here's what's yours. From the wilderness where you've been wandering down south uh, up to Lebanon and over to the great river Euphrates, the northeast extent of the land, the land of the Hittites up to the north is going to be your border all the way to the great sea out on the west, that is the Mediterranean Sea. And in this command to receive the land that God gives them, God says, no man's going to be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And it's not because Joshua is an incredible person. It's because precisely what God said in verse five, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And for that reason, no man will be able to stand against you in verse five. It's God's presence, and it's His almighty power. It's His right hand that conquered Pharaoh. It's His power that parted the Red Sea that could part that river that stands between them and the promised land. No enemy is too powerful for this God, and no geographical obstacle can stop His fulfillment of His promise. And even as they enter into this land that others believe belong to the gods of the Canaanites, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the only true God, promised that he would be with Joshua. He will never leave him. He will never forsake him. Those gods have nothing on Yahweh. Don't be afraid. You're not wandering into somebody else's territory. This is God's land. And it's in this context. It's immediately following the promise of his powerful presence among them that he tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. So what that means is his strength and his courage are based upon God's presence. Entirely upon God. This is not a muster up some courage kind of command. Joshua, again, is not supposed to look within himself and follow his heart. But to look, he is to look to the one who is right there with him. And to lean upon God who has promised not to leave him or forsake him, to find his strength in him who will keep his promise. And in verse 6, we see what happens if Joshua continues. In faith with his God. If you are strong and courageous by leaning upon God in, in faith, you will cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. This is a blessed land, a a, a blessed rest, a blessed promise fulfilled, and God said, I'm going to use you to fulfill that promise. And then in verse 7, God repeats the command, only be strong and very courageous. And here's where we see the how. How are you strong and courageous? In verse 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous. How? Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Can you imagine leading a people, a, a, a nation of stubborn people, into a land that others are inhabiting and doing it obediently to God? my tendency would be to use whatever means necessary. My tendency would be to take the practical route rather than the righteous route. And God is telling Joshua, as you go into this land, you must do it my way. Be strong and courageous, careful to obey the law that I have given to Moses. So what is it that Joshua really needs courage to stand against? What is it that is, is threatening to him the most? Is it the giants? Is it militaries? Is it fortified walls? No, right here, the strength and courage that he needs is going to stand against godlessness. Godlessness waywardness, forgetfulness, straying to the right or to the left because specifically God says, do not turn from my law to the right hand or to the left hand. It is specifically disobedience that Joshua needs to courageously stand against within his heart and within the people of God. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, God said in verse 7. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Verse eight, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. This harkens back to the Shema and the promise to speak these words of God, these laws of God to in your family. When you sit and when you rise, when you go out and when you come in, write them on your doorposts. Be all about the word of God. Even as you go in to this land That God is giving you. And then. If you meditate on God's word. And you obey it. And you do not turn to the right or to the left. If you stand with strength and courage. Against those temptations. To stray. Then will come good success and prosperity. According to God's word. The strength that Joshua needs. Is not inside him. It is outside him. It is in the word of God. It is in the promise of God. It is in the faithfulness of God. It is in obedience to God's commands. It is in acknowledging God's nearness and leaning upon God. In short, Joshua's strength is his God. God has not told Joshua to to go and lead this nation into Israel and go find your own strength and courage. He says, go lead this nation into the promised land. And I will be your strength and courage. I will be with you and do it according to my command. And then he repeats it again in verse nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. And why? Even in the face of enemies, he's not supposed to be afraid. Even as he's supposed to lead a uh, a nation across the river. Even though the people are known for their wayward hearts. Is there actually any reason not to be afraid? Well, verse 9 tells you why you should not be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Is there any journey or conquest or expedition in life that you would like to take and leave God behind? It's a fool's errand. But wherever the Lord goes, we want to go. That matters for us individually. That matters for us as a church. And that matters for us who depend on Christ. The truth is, none of us lives in perfect faithfulness to God. None of us lives with that constant awareness of His presence. Instead, we try to do it all on our own. And we forget that He's with us. And we forget to lean on Him. And that's a problem that working really hard to fix won't fix. So we're going to have to wait a little bit to get to the solution. Look what Israel does in verses 10 through 18. Joshua does immediately what God had commanded him. He being strong and courageous goes to the people that he is now leading and commands the officers to go through the midst of the camp and to command the people, prepare your provisions, because in three days we're going over this river and we're taking the land. This command to cross over defines the first five chapters of this book. The first five chapters of Joshua are about preparing to cross over. It's about crossing over. It's about going into the land. Arise and go over is how it starts. And in, verse, in chapter 5, we see the end of this section where they're preparing to take the land. And then in the next section of the book, starting in chapter 6, they go and they take the land. And then starting in, verse, in chapter 13, they settle the land. And then for the last three chapters, they serve God in the land. These first five chapters, they are preparing to go in. And Joshua starts by leaning upon his God, by giving this command to get ready to go and take possession. But that is a little bit puzzling, right? It says in verse 11, God is giving you this land. But then it also says, take possession of the land. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. I think we do ourselves a disservice if we forget that walking with God has both of those elements always. God always gives the gifts and we are always to receive them in faith. Another way we could ask this is, is grace something that God gives you or is grace something that you receive by faith? Yes, it is. God gives it and we take it. The Canaanites might inhabit the land for this moment, but there is no tension in this command to take it for God is giving it. Because this is God's land and he's giving it to his covenant people who will take possession of it. And then Israel under Joshua's leadership is to remain faithful to their covenant God in obedience. And they are to be strong and courageous by obeying the law. And they are to respond to his promise and to his gift by entering in and taking it. And so what happens? Joshua commands them to get ready. And he commands the the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh to get ready to go in according to the word of God. In verses uh, 17 and 18, they promise their loyalty. They say, we're going to obey you just like we obeyed Moses because the Lord your God is with you. So be strong and courageous. Joshua is tying Israel. He's holding them not to his word, but to God's word and saying, you must go and you must take this land according to God's word. And even the Reubenites and the Gadites and Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had already settled in the land outside of the promised land before the rest of the tribes entered the land. The Reubenites and the Gadites, Numbers 13 and 14, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they settled there, and it was an act of faithlessness and cowardice and impatience. But even in that, Moses allowed it, God allowed it, And they were promised in that day, they promised that they would go with their brothers to take the land and they would go fully armed to to grab hold of that promised land that God had said he would give to his people. And so here Joshua is reminding them, here's that promise with God. You must keep it. Arm yourselves. Get ready to come into the land with your brothers. And so even they forsook their convenience. They could have said, no, we're okay. We're cozy. Y'all go have fun. Call us if you need help. No, even they were willing to forsake their convenience convenience and to remember the word of God and that promise that they had made with God and to take God at his word and to enter the land. And it's, it's mentioned very briefly here, but it's crucial. This idea of rest in verse 15 until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. So he's saying, you come and you help until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as He has to you. This rest. And also verse 13, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Israel was about to have peace. Or they were supposed to have peace and rest in the land of promise. So I I have to ask, Is this promise conditional upon their obedience in order for them to have the land? All right, so this is a promise that says you can enter this land and have rest if you obey. If you stand strong and stand courage upon God's word, does the inheritance of the land depend upon their faithfulness? as verse 6 seems to say. Because we have to ask, what if they're not obedient? Are they not going to get the land? What if they stray to the right or to the left as they are commanded not to do? Well, thankfully, in times past, Moses, he was faithful, and he was able to stand in for Israel. And it seems Joshua may be able to do the same thing. But what if someone like Samson comes along? What if someone like Saul comes along? or David, or Solomon, any other king? Does that unearn them the land of promise? Again, I'm going to hold on for a minute before I answer that question. The underlying question is this, does covenant blessing depend upon the faithfulness of God's people? Does covenant blessing, does God's pouring out His promised blessings depend upon your faithfulness? If so, what's the natural application of a passage like this? We get to the end of Joshua chapter 1 and we say, Oh, brothers and sisters, let's go be strong and courageous and not be afraid. And we say that as we're shaking in our boots. Because we know who we are. We know that we can't. We know that there's not a single human being, a part of the nation of Israel or part of God's church that is going to be faithful enough to keep us out of exile. Is this a promise that if you're filled with faith, then you'll be filled with abundance? Is this saying that God's going to help those who help themselves? Against some misapplications of this passage, I'm going to go ahead and say, we cannot directly apply these commands to us today uninterrupted. We cannot lift these verses and say, oh, I must go and be strong and courageous as Joshua was commanded to be. We cannot say, I must keep God's law in order to inherit the land because we're going to end up with just another conditional promise of inheritance based upon the disobedience of fickle, sinful people. There must be something deeper going on or else this is not good news at all because if Moses wasn't good enough, then neither was Joshua. Neither is Israel, and neither are we. Which drives us to ask, what is the point of a chapter like this? Praise God we have the New Testament. Praise God we have the good news of the one who came and was faithful, and we have the news from Hebrews chapter 4, which explains some of this for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 says this, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Here in the book of Joshua, Joshua is going to lead them into the land, and this rest is promised. But the New Testament, with its fuller revelation from God, says that Joshua did not give them that full rest promised. There remains a Sabbath rest to be had for the people of God. Does that mean that God's promise has failed? Does that mean that God has not done what he said he was going to do? Did he not give them the land that he promised? Here's the thing. That land of Canaan was a promise from God. That is a type. It's a technical term. It's a type. It's a foreshadow. It's an anticipation. It's setting up the expectation for something else. It is the physical illustration of a fuller, spiritual, eternal promise of inheritance that was to come for all the people of God. And that promise of rest still remains. There is still a way for the church Of Jesus today to enter into that rest that God promised. It was seen and it was tasted by God's people in the Old Testament. But it did not eternally satisfy. Because there is only one rest that eternally satisfies. And that invitation stands. How do we enter it? The author of Hebrews immediately after saying this tells us really good news. He talks about that great high priest. He talks about that great high priest who has passed through the heavens and it is the person of Jesus who leads us into that final rest and that promised land. It is through him that all these promises of Joshua become truly accessible to God's people. You see lots of these types in the Old Testament. You see Adam and then Jesus is the last Adam. You see Moses and Jesus is the greater Moses and you see David and Jesus is the son of David and on and on. And then we get to Matthew 121 and it says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This name Jesus means Yahweh saves. In Hebrew, Jesus' name is Yeshua. Joshua's name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Means Yahweh saves. This is the same name. And as Moses led Israel out of bondage, and as Joshua led them into the promised land, so Jesus the prophet greater than Moses frees his people from bondage to sin and he goes with them and saves them and takes them into the eternal land of promise, the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus was the one who did exactly what Joshua was commanded to do. Jesus is the one who was strong and courageous. Jesus is the one who kept the law of God on his mouth and meditated on it and obeyed it perfectly and did not stray to the right or to the left. Jesus trusted his father perfectly. He is the great I am. He is God with us. God's presence promised to Joshua came in its fullness through Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. God with His people come to save his people. Jesus is the fulfillment of the word of God, the law of Moses, which Joshua was commanded to study and obey. Because you remember how Jesus on the road to Emmaus interpreted all the scriptures in them, all the things concerning himself. Jesus even says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him because the father has not left me alone in John 8. And as Jesus faced the adversary who tempted him in the desert, what did he appeal to? That word of God that was on his mouth and in his heart. In fact, it was Jesus' strength and his courage, that's his obedience to the will of the Father when he said, not my will, but yours be done. And it is his perfect record of righteous obedience to all the law of God that earned us the promised land. as Joshua was commanded to be strong and courageous and took Israel into that land as a foretaste of that final blessing. So Jesus was strong and courageous in the face of the enemy and he led all his people with him into the inheritance of eternal salvation as he conquered the enemy, death. The book of Genesis, Adam died. The end of Genesis, Joseph died. The end of Deuteronomy and the beginning of this book, Moses died. And at the end of this book, Joshua dies. And you say, but Jesus died too. He did very truly and really. He was killed. He was accused of of being a criminal, but he was perfect. And he did breathe his last. And he was really and truly killed and he died But his story does not end with death on top. Because on the third day, he breathed again, he rose again from the dead, and he defeated all the enemies that stand in the way of our Canaan. He removed all barriers for Christians to go and take possession of the promised inheritance of the saints because he grabbed that inheritance for us and gives it to all who are in him. Jesus takes possession of the promised inheritance and gives it to the people of God. So, what do we do? Can we sit back in our spiritual coma and let Him do everything? No, this is the land the Lord your God is giving you. Take possession of it. We too take possession of this promise and of this life that God is working in us and growing in us by His Spirit. We exercise faith and we grow in godliness. Because God gives us the inheritance, we can take the inheritance. So we too can be strong and courageous. Not looking within for a great strength of our own, but leaning more and more upon Jesus who was strong and courageous perfectly. And therefore we obey the law of God and delight in it and find life in it. And so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'll leave you with this summary. Jesus is that greater Joshua. We're going to see more and more as we get through this book. He is the one who truly gives rest. He is the inheritor of eternal life by his perfect strength and courage, by his obedience and his devotion to the Father. And if you're interested in taking possession of this eternal life, the greatest inheritance ever, It can be yours by faith in Jesus Christ. Look to Him. Receive it from Him. Believe in Him and rest in Him. Let's pray. We thank you, gracious God, for giving to unfaithful people the reward of faithfulness. We thank you that although we are as wayward as any, our Savior is not. And it's because He was righteous and because He conquered our enemy that we too can live in life. Would you help us by your Spirit? Would you be near to us and would you never leave us or forsake us by your Spirit? Would we be those who have your law on our mouth and in our hearts and in our minds? And would we do it? in full dependence upon our Savior who has done it perfectly. Strengthen us, we ask, for we need you for this task. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.